0: Psalms 133. Psalms 133. Look around you. If someone doesn't have a Bible, share your Bible with them. Help them find their place tonight. And, uh, we're gonna, we're, we're continuing our series. We've got maybe one more message after this on the Psalms of Ascent. And the theme is, I'm going higher. While you're doing that, I want to encourage you to please do all you can to stay healthy this winter. Uh, wash your hands re- frequently with hot water and soap. Drink a lot of water. Stay hydrated. You see, you're sounding like my mother. No, I'm just being your father. You got to stay healthy. Amen. Uh, drink a lot of water. Stay warm, bundled up. Uh, you know, get some sleep. A lot of lot of sickness comes because you're not getting enough sleep. Now, if you if you can't sleep like me, I can't help you on that. Just you know, get somebody to help you count sheep or something. There, I don't know, whatever, or double up on your melatonin or something like that. Amen. amen you know, but whatever it takes to help you there. Do not take any depressant medication. That'll keep you asleep. I don't want you doing that. Amen. But uh, we do want you healthy and well, and that'll be a good thing there. Psalms 120, 133. Here's what I want us to do tonight. Everyone here hopefully has a King James Version Bible. I want us all to read this passage together. This is such a sweet passage. It's such a good passage, an encouraging passage. And I want us to read it together. I want us to pause for a moment after we read it. I might read it again. And I want us to let the word of Christ tonight dwell in us richly in all wisdom. Let's read together, please. Behold, how good and how pleasant it is. For brethren to dwell together in unity. It is like the precious ointment upon the head that ran down upon the beard. Even Aaron's beard that went down to the skirts of his garment. As the dew of Hermon and as the dew that descended upon the mountains of Zion. For there the Lord commanded the blessing, even life forevermore. Let's pause for just a moment. Think about what we just read. Listen as I read. Behold, how good and how pleasant it is for brethren to dwell together in unity. It is like the precious ointment upon the head that ran down upon the beard. Even Aaron's beard that went down to the skirts of his garments, as the dew of Hermon, and as the dew that descended upon the mountains of Zion, for there the Lord commanded the blessing, even life, forevermore. There's so many good things here. Our title of the message is taken out of verse one, how good it is. If there's one thing we want as a congregation, as a church body, as a church membership. We want what is good. We want what glorifies God and pleases our Lord and is an answer to the prayer request of our Lord Jesus Christ tonight. And I pray this evening as we look at this very encouraging passage of Scripture, I pray that this evening we would just let God speak to our hearts and work in us in an individual way. Father, thank you tonight we've assembled together. I'm thankful for faithful Christians here tonight. We need our souls fed. We need the great shepherd of the sheep, the chief shepherd and bishop of our soul, the Lord Jesus Christ, to feed our souls this evening, to take us out to green pastures where he'll make us to lie down, where he'll lead us beside the still waters, and there he restoreth our soul. I pray this evening that heaven would come down And glory would fill our souls. I pray this evening that, God, you'd help us to examine our conscience. And for some, they need to examine their conscience, whether they be in the faith. And all the rest of us, we'd examine our conscience. God, that if if we're doing everything that's supportive of what you want us to do here in this matter of unity. Father, we pray tonight that as David wrote this psalm, we'd contemplate the very words and the background. And may it stir our hearts and draw us nearer to you. We pray for a church that's united, that endeavors to keep the unity of the Spirit in the bond of peace. We pray for a church tonight that is bonded together in serving Christ, that has love as brethren, compassion one for another. Father, we confess our weaknesses. We confess, perhaps at times, being overly competitive. We confess tonight that sometimes we may be at strife and even have contention one with another. We confess tonight that perhaps we don't understand all the ministries of the church. And because of that, we feel like ministries are competing with one another for resources and attention and workers and things. And Father, tonight, deliver us from what even Paul spoke of in First Corinthians 3 of carnality and envy and strife and divisiveness. And tonight we pray for the love of Christ to just help this church to be exactly what it should be for your glory. Thank you for loving us. Thank you for being patient with us. Thank you, Lord, for allowing us to exist here for 20 years. And as the Lord tarries, I pray that you'd allow this church to continue to exist for many more years as a strong church, as a united church, as a holy church, as a spiritual church, as an on-fire for Jesus church, as a soul-winning church, as a Bible-preaching church, as a Baptist church, God, as a separated church, as a fundamental church, Lord, we pray. We pray that tonight it would be a church that has all the distinctions of being biblically Baptist and honoring Christ, a church just like the church that is found in the New Testament there in the book of Acts God we pray this evening may you do something marvelous and maybe even in the midst of a message like this grass Lord you'd call some man to be a preacher of the gospel and it might be Lord maybe in a service like this you'd call out missionaries to the to the mission field and it might be Lord tonight a a defining moment for somebody who's been on the fence to get off the fence and decide this evening that they're going to be part of something and making their contribution to do something great and powerful for the glory of God use this service tonight and help me this evening I need the fresh anointing of God even as we be preaching about the dew of Hermon, I pray to be saturated with the dew of heaven tonight upon my soul and upon my life, and may that, God, that, Lord, you take that live coal of fire as you did for Isaiah off the holy altar of God and cleanse me, for I am tonight a man who's undone with unclean lips, who needs God's power this evening. Please work in our midst and do a great thing in our, among us, we pray. In Jesus' name we pray. Amen. You may be seated. For those of you who are, who are new to the Sunday evening services, uh, we have been in a series entitled "I'm Going Higher," as from this, this section of Psalms, from Psalms 120 to Psalms 134. They were called the Psalms of Ascent. Because the Jews, when they would come back for, uh, for the special celebration times like Passover and the Day of Atonement and the, and the Feast of Pentecost and times like that and the Feast of Tabernacles, they would, they would have to make their ascent up to the hill to the city of Jerusalem. Jerusalem was a city on a hill. And the Jews made it their practice to memorize these psalms. They memorized Psalms 120 to 134. And as they slowly and meticulously made their way up the hill, they would recite these psalms from memory. The priests... As they would make their way to the temple, they would have to send a series of steps, about 15 steps or so. They would have to send these steps to get into the temple entryway. And these priests, they would recite these psalms. And hence, they're going higher. You'll notice in Psalms 133, we are on step number 14. There are 15 steps total. We're on step number 14. We're almost at the top. Amen? We're almost there. And you can imagine, if you were one of the Jews celebrating the festivities, or you were the priests celebrating going into the temple, you can imagine... The 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 elation, you can imagine the, 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 the joy in their heart, the exuberation about having finished, completing, having memorized all this, and reciting it as they made their way. And it could have been written, as I think about the Psalm, it's a Psalm of David, you'll notice the superscription there underneath Psalm, it says Psalm 133, it says a song of degree of David. Now David wrote this Psalm, there's no question about that. And these Psalms, uh, many of them, have a Davidic ascription or assignment to them, which means that David wrote that psalm. I said last time when I was in Psalms 132 that that David wrote Psalms 132. We know that from verse 1 because he said it was a prayer of David. He said, Lord, remember David and all his afflictions. And it could have been that David wrote this psalm at one of two occasions. It either could have been written at the time when all of Israel got together and they, they anointed David as king. If you remember back in 2 Samuel, it was the men of Judah first that anointed David as king. And then later on we read about all the men of Israel and it was at that time that they said we are bone of bone and we are brethren together and it may have been at that time that, 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 that David may have written this psalm thinking about the importance of being united together or it could have been that this psalm may have even been written at the, at the end, at the conclusion of the Absalom Rebellion. Now, if anybody knew what division mean, what division could do, the harm of division and dysfunctionality and being split and divided in discord, David knew something about that. If you've ever been part of a family where there's been discord and it's been broken and it's not united, and it's not together, you know and understand how difficult that would be. If you ever it, were part of a church or visited a church where you you Sense any of that, you know how terrible that can be and how hurtful it was. If anybody knew anything about that, it was David. And you might consider tonight, as we read Psalms 133, David knew the importance as a leader of having a unified kingdom, of having a unity among his team, among his soldiers, among his workers, and among the leadership that he had there. You see, unity is important. David had foresight and he had insight on the importance of unity. Brethren, tonight, we must be a united church. We must be a church that is bonded together in unity. Amen, Pastor. We must have unity about doctrine. We must have unity about the service of God. We must have unity about growing the church. And I didn't hear a lot of amens about it, but I'm going to tell you tonight, we must have unity about our anniversary conference and winning souls. We must have unity going into next Sunday, as we get into next Saturday and Sunday, about winning souls to Christ and having a Christmas musical. We're not going to get off on some some here, some some here, issue here and worry about a minor chord here and things there. We're going to be united about one thing, that we're here to do this as an as opportunity of reaching people. People with the gospel of Jesus Christ. You see, tonight, unity implies. Cohesion, unity is when there is oneness. Unity is when everyone is in complete agreement. Now that doesn't necessarily mean that uh, we're going to be agreement on everything. I mean, everybody's going to have a different opinion about colors, and everyone's going to have a different opinion about how to bake the cookies, and everyone's going to have a different opinion how much salt to put in the food and how less of salt to put in the food, and everyone's going to have a different opinion whether you like it spicy or not spicy. Just to let you know, I like it spicy, so you can you can park on that, amen. And uh, everyone is going to have a little bit of desire and you know a little different opinion about all those different. Kind of things. But when it comes to the essentials, when it comes to essentials, we must have unity. We must have unity in those things. Where there's unity, listen, where there's unity, there is strength. And where there's unity, there is progress. And when there's unity, God is pleased. As we would say, united as we stand, divided we fall. I want you to see three things from this passage of Scripture about the beautifulness and the wonderfulness of unity. Notice in verse 1, the psalmist David teaches us that unity is exalted. Unity is exalted. Would you notice how David starts off this psalm? He says, behold, in other words, take a good look. Stop and pause and consider for a moment. He says, behold, how good and how pleasant it is for brethren to dwell together in unity. The rain has stopped this morning. And I've tried to get on a good habit of, of getting out and doing a little more cardio there for myself. And so I've been out running a lot the last three months here, trying to get some things in. And so early this morning, before as the sun was just starting to rise, I thought I'd get out the, the rain to stop. And I got a, I ran up a hill and I tried to find some hills that I could go up to. And I made my way up a hill and I got to the top and it was a beautiful range. I didn't get a chance to send the photograph to our, our 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 guys to show you, but I was just kind of looking at just the the valley area there where I was at where I was running. And I looked over there and looked at the hills and so forth there and the fog that enshrouded it and it was a wonderful sight there and, uh, and and you know i just stopped for a moment while i was heaving and, and breathing and so forth like that and i was beholding and god wants us to stop for a moment and god wants us to look and god wants us to consider as he says behold he says behold how good and how pleasant it is for brethren to dwell together in unity he said that he's telling us here in verse one the unity is exalted by god And unity should be exalted by spiritual Christians. Unity is exalted by God. And unity should be exalted by spiritual Christians. He says how good unity is. And how pleasant or how beautiful unity is. Now when you sum it up together. He's saying unity is a beautiful thing. It's a beautiful thing to see a church that's cohesive. It's a beautiful thing to see a team of deacons that are cohesive. It's a beautiful thing to see a staff that's cohesive. It's a beautiful thing to see ministries of the church that are cohesive about what they're doing and working together. Ministry, if you would, is a wonderful thing when unity is exalted. Why is it beautiful? We have to ask ourselves the question. What was in David's frame of mind when he said how good and how pleasant it is that brethren should dwell together in unity? Well, I want you to write this down today. Number one it's beautiful because it's the prayer of our Savior. Our Savior prayed in that John chapter 17 that his church and his people would be united. Now, I spent a little bit of time on this when we did our series from the Gospel of John, Nothing But the Truth, and you might want to go back to the archives on the podcast, and when I preached from John 17, but I made some statements there how Jesus Christ in His prayer for the church, as He prayed for its sanctification, He prayed for its holiness. He also prayed that, as an emanation of His sanctification, that the church would have unity. And for the sake of time, I want you to notice John 17:21. Jesus prayed in John 17, 21, "...that they all may be one, as Thou, Father, art in Me, and I in Thee, that they also may be one in Us, that the world may believe that Thou hast sent Me." Now, when you read that, that is an important prayer. That is the prayer of our Savior. He is our great intercessor. You see, tonight, when Jesus ascended to heaven, the ministry of Jesus Christ was not completed on earth until He ascended to heaven. When He ascended to heaven, He sat down at the right hand of the throne of God. And there was declared that, the, that all that He did for us on the cross is complete. And the work of God is complete. But Jesus is still ministering. And there in heaven, at the right hand of the Father, Jesus Christ is our great intercessor, making intercessions for you and I. And one of the great things our Savior prayed in John 17, and I believe even now He's praying for, for local New Testament churches like ours, is that we may be one in Jesus Christ. That we may be one together. He's praying that we would endeavor to keep the unity of the Spirit and the bond of peace. The prayer of the Savior... Is that this church would be united. The prayer of the Savior of the Savior is that the church is together on the same page about our doctrine. This past Wednesday night I preached a little bit of a technical message about Calvinism that needed to be preached, and I didn't finish everything that needed to be said. And if you weren't here on Wednesday night, I pray that you go on the podcast and listen to it. You need to hear it. The title of the message was Satan's Deadly Deadly Flower. We need to understand tonight, while there may be Protestant churches and there may be other churches that might say, Well, you can believe that. I'm going to tell you tonight we're we're, you're not on one thing. Calvinism is not in this church. And we're not going to have Calvinism in our platform. And we're not going to have Calvinism in our statement of faith. And we're not going to have Calvinism in any of that. That is Satan's deadly power. Calvinism is a man-made doctrine. It is not a doctrine found in the Word of God. Calvinism is a man-made doctrine because it's an incorrect interpretation of the Bible. It's misinterpretation of key verses of Scripture that in their context do not promote or accentuate Calvinism to any degree. You see, why is that a big problem? Because if you look at the Southern Baptist Convention, which at one time was a thriving evangelistic uh, Denomination of people, you'll find that its very circles, yet Calvinism has, has infiltrated the Southern Baptist Convention, and now they're fighting within themselves to try to keep Calvinism out. It came in through their seminaries. And listen, some of the entry points that Calvinism comes in, it comes in through Bible colleges, and it comes in through seminaries, and it comes in from online classes, and it comes on, and it comes about by teachers who get on, who get onto an online platform, and people engage in it. And here's the thing, everyone gets, that gets attracted to Calvinism, they get attracted because of its intellectualism. It appeals to the intellectual nature of man. Let me tell you tonight, if all you care about is the intellectual capability of what you have. You need to die to self and realize your wisdom is foolish as far as God's concerned. And we need to realize that we must submit our wisdom to God. And it's not intellectualism that we should be appealing to. It is the fact that we are appealed to the fact we are trying to be biblicist and understanding what the Word of God is all about. And Jesus is praying for our unity. He's praying that we're on the same page. He pays for that. And listen, if you look at John 17, 21, the prayer of the Savior is this, that the world may believe that thou hast set me. Listen, the number one factor that that enhances the credibility of a local New Testament church, that that should be the church I want to be a part of. That should be the church I want to worship God in. That should be the church that I want to serve God in. That's the church I want to have a membership in. It's the very fact that that church is united in Jesus Christ here. And I'm going to tell you tonight, if there's any semblance of us, we're sowing discord and we're gossiping about one another and we're tearing down the reputation of one another and we're being divisive and filled with envy. I remind you tonight where envy and strife are, there's confusion in every evil work, James says. And I remind you tonight, where those things exist, our Savior is not pleased by any means by that. And the Bible describes discord as an abomination before the sight and the very nostrils of our Savior. Our Savior said that the world may believe. Listen, we're not going to reach the the world with the gospel of Jesus Christ if we're disunited, if we're dysfunctional, if we're not together about things. We must decide tonight that that the prayer of the Savior, it is up to us to make sure that prayer gets answered. And we need to be on the same page with Jesus Christ on that tonight. And so tonight is beautiful because the of the Savior but notice secondly it is beautiful because it's pleasing to the saints look at verse 1 David didn't write this haphazardly the Holy Spirit of God inspired him he said how good how pleasant it is when brethren dwell together in unity Joseph's brethren hated him There's no place for hatred in the heart of a child of God. There's no place for hatred in the heart of a child of God. There's no place for jealousy and envy in the heart of a child of God. When David wrote that, he remembered what the kingdom was like. The men of Judah were for him. The men of Israel were for the son of Saul. But when they got together, and the United, and they said we're bone of bone and flesh of flesh. How good, and how pleasant it is for brethren to dwell together in unity. Back in the day, when the Pittsburgh Pittsburgh Pirates baseball team was one of the powerhouse teams, they had several several players on there that were just major major. They were I mean they were powerful at, at the bat, and one of them was a man by the name of Willie Stargell. Willie Stargell was nicknamed Pops, and he was kind of the glue that gelled together the Pirates. During those days, if you knew anything and followed them on, on the sports pages, the Pirates were nicknamed the Family, and they were nicknamed the Family because of a statement that Willie Stargell made. He said, "We won, we lived, and we enjoyed." As one. We molded together dozens of different individuals into one working force. We were products of different races. We were raised in different income brackets. Listen to this. But in the clubhouse and on the field, we were one. You see, tonight, unity demonstrates functionality. Unity demonstrates where we understand our role and position in terms of submission and execution. Unity demonstrates respect. Unity demonstrates maturity. Unity unity demonstrates it's not about me, it's about we. Unity demonstrates real love, it is real Christianity in action. I've shared this illustration many times before, but years ago when the UCLA Bruins were coached by Coach John Wooden, they were they were the powerhouse basketball team of the 60s. And they had some great players that went on into professionalism that did very, very well. One of them, of course, many of you might remember the name was the was the second seven footer ever to play in the NBA. His name before he changed it, his name was Lou Alcindor. But uh, John John Wooden was on the on the cover of the Sports Illustrated magazine. And the background was the the court of the famous Pauley Pavilion where they played and the caption that they had on the article said this, the man who puts the ball through the hoops has ten hands. And what they're really saying there, that you don't just attribute the success of the UCLA Bruins back in that day and all the championships they won, you don't attribute it just to John Wooden, even though he was a great coach and he was a mastermind when it came to plays. And you don't just attribute the fact that they had the, the top seven-foot player at that time playing in the NCAA, whose name was Luel Cinder, which otherwise we know is, uh, is uh, he changed his name later but we know for the fact that there were ten men that were part of the team, the UCLA Bruins, that gelled together. They worked together. They worked those plays. They thought with one mind. They played with one heart. They played with the idea that we're going to win together. And I say to you tonight that unity is important because it's beautiful because it's pleasing to the saints of God. Listen, if you're, you're new to the church, one of the attraction points why you're still coming to this church is because of the unity of God's people. That they're all together about things. They meld together. And I want to tell you tonight, when you look at a church and all the different personalities, and you look at the different backgrounds and the educational mix and all these kind of things, it's a beautiful thing when God can mold together accountants and engineers and, and uh, hospital workers and healthcare workers and, and people that are retired and people that are just starting out in work and computer engineers and all of these different kinds of things and, and people that are doing the auto mechanics and all this. I mean, you think about all the different occupations things going on in our church. Well, it's a beautiful thing when God's people can be together and unified in serving Jesus Christ. But I want you to notice something else here. As we look at verse one, the, it's beautiful. Unity. He's beautiful, not just because it's pleasing to the saints and not just because it's the prayer of the Savior. But I want you to think about this. It is our power against Satan. It is our power against Satan. Satan hates a united church. Satan hates a church that's in unity. Satan hates it when a church is together on its doctrine. That's why I preach hard about our doctrine. That's why I preach hard about staying together about what we're doing and about our mission and what we're doing. Because Satan hates a church that's divided. Satan hates a church where brotherly love is the priority. Unity is our power against Satan. Unity is one of the ways the gates of hell shall not prevail. Those of you who have... uh, probably like myself off and on have followed the Peanuts cartoon, know that probably the two more prominent personalities are Charlie Brown and Lucy. And I remember as a kid growing up reading the cartoon and uh, this was a famous one. In fact, I even think they had this on one of the cartoons that was on TV. They had a, a program where Charlie Brown is sitting there and watching the black and white television. He's watching his program and Lucy walks in there and she says, Charlie Brown, I want you to change the channel. And he says, why should I? And she lifted up her hand like this and she said, let me tell you why. She says, Right here are five fingers, she says. And she says, they're all together. They're individual. And they're not much like by this. But when I curl them up like this, they become a most powerful thing. And she put this right under his face. And Charlie Brown said, okay, what channel would you like me to turn it to? And as he did so, he looked at his two hands. And he looked at her. And she held her fist like this. And he went like this. He says, why can't you guys get it together like she can get it together? Amen. And I, and I say tonight, there's a power about a unified church going together that overcomes Satan, I want you to think with me, Acts chapter 4. Satan thought he defeated the church when he censured Peter and John. I and mean, they were told by the Sanhedrin they could preach no more in that name. But as they got together and they prayed, the Bible says great power came upon that church and great grace was upon them. And we read about something. Neither did any man lack. They were united together about what they were to do. They were they had one heart together in things. And I say to you tonight, as we consider the church, the church is our power. Our unified church is our power against Satan. Unity is exalted. It is good and it is pleasant for us to be whole. Notice the second thing tonight, if you would. We see unity is exalted, but go with me to verse 2 very quickly. And what you notice tonight, not only is unity exalted, but what you notice, unity exhibited. Now, David was not alive when Aaron was anointed high priest. But David knew his Bible history. And David draws upon to the Jews, and I pray tonight when I'm done with this, a familiar incident that was very captivating. It left an imprint on your mind. It was something so marvelous and so beautiful. And he uses this metaphor, this analogy, and speaking about unity and brethren dwelling together, he says, it is like the precious ointment upon the head that ran down upon the beard, even Aaron's, Aaron's beard that went down to the skirts of his garment. Now if you're not familiar with that, I want us to look at some scripture for just a moment so we can have an understanding of how this, how captivating this, 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 this colorful uh, exhibit he's given to us here. And I want you to go with me to Leviticus chapter eight. And it might be in your notes, but I want you to go with me, uh actually excuse me, go to let me to Exodus chapter 30 first. And I want you to consider first of all with me the ointment itself. He calls it the precious ointment. Now this was a special prescribed ointment. If you go to verse twenty three, Exodus thirty, verse twenty three, a special prescribed ointment that was used for the anointing of the high priest. And here in in Exodus, we know if you've read through Exodus or if you've never read, I'll just explain it to you. We have a description beginning with chapter 21 of of just a description of the of the functions that the the Jews were to have as once they were established as a nation and uh, all those functions, how they were to celebrate God. And certain festivities, and God had a, had a, had a spiritual functionality he had. And part of that was a high priest. And you might want to just make a notation for your, your for your notes tonight. Aaron, of course, is the high priest. He was the very first high priest. But God talked about the setting apart of this, this high priest. And, and in doing so, David recognizes here this precious ointment, as it's called. And uh, this ointment is called precious twice in Scripture. And this is one of those times. And you'll notice in verse 23, we see the ingredients of this ointment, the constituency of it. And the Bible says in verse 22, moreover, the Lord spake unto Moses saying, he said, take thou also unto the principal spices of pure myrrh, 500 shekels, and a sweet cinnamon, half so much, even 250 shekels, and a sweet calamus, 250 shekels, and of kasha, 500 shekels, after the shekel of the sanctuary, and of oil, olive, or olive oil, a hymn. And thou shalt make it an oil of holy ointment, an ointment compound after the art of the apothecary. It shall be a holy anointing oil. And thou shalt anoint the tabernacle of the congregation therewith and the ark of the testimony. Now I did some research here and some believe that the, the, the entire weight of this content of this oil that was pulled together, and you have to understand this this evening, that all of these different spices pulled together were very fragrant, aromatic spices. You think about myrrh and cinnamon and uh, you think of kasha and uh, those type of things. You, you put these, these fragrances together, these spices together, there was a very strong, uh, perform, uh, if you would, aromatic type of perfume type of fragrance to it. And some have said that they believe that it weighed, could have weighed as much as 750 ounces because this, 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 this compound that was put together would be used for the anointing of the entire tabernacle area, especially of the, the Holy of Holies and so forth there. It would, it would anoint the altar and later on be used to anoint Aaron the high priest and setting him apart as God's high priest and later on Aaron's sons. But this holy oil was set aside. It was fragrant and it was figurative because the oil, wherever you read about oil in the Old Testament, it always is a symbol of, of the Holy Spirit of God. Wherever you see oil, it speaks it was about the Holy Spirit there. And so we have this oil here that, that he makes mention of here, and he calls it a precious ointment, because it was precious because of its usage and its application. And so we see this ointment. But I want you to notice something else as we get into this. I want you to notice not only in verse 2 the ointment, I want you to notice the officiant, the officiant upon who it's poured upon. And the Bible talks about this ointment that was set apart, that was compounded, that was mixed together with this olive oil, that would be used for a holy purpose. It was called a precious ointment because it only had one function. That was for anointing, as setting something apart to demonstrate God's approval. Wherever you see anointing, it speaks about God's approval and setting apart of things. And we see this officiant. And the officiant is Aaron himself. That Aaron himself was set apart by God. And it speaks about this ointment that was poured on on Aaron now to get an idea of what we're talking about here or what David's talking about that's where we go to Leviticus chapter 8 so would you go to Leviticus chapter 8 please for just a moment Leviticus chapter 8 and please uh, those if you see somebody next to you who can't find their place help them find Leviticus even though it's the third third book of the Old Testament you help them find that there And Leviticus chapter 8, I'm going to take a moment here to read through the scripture so you can get a kind of a a picture idea of what's going on. Because Leviticus 8 is a recapture of what we see over there in Exodus Exodus chapter 29 as well. But notice what he says here. And the Lord spake unto Moses, saying, Take Aaron and his sons with him, and the garments, and the anointing oil, and a bullock for the sin offering, and two rams, and a basket of unleavened bread. And gather thou all the congregation together unto the door of the tabernacle of the congregation. Now I want to pause here for just a moment. I want to understand, as David is referring to the anointing of of, of Aaron. I want to understand that this. this was not a private ceremony. This was a public ceremony. All of the people of God were present. They watched this from up close and from a distance. They watched the anointing, the sending part of Aaron. This was a beautiful thing. Everyone that was part of the congregation of God, as they called it, were to participate and see and watch this anointing. And so you notice together, he told him here in verse 3, Gather thou all the congregation together unto the door of the tavern of the congregation. And Moses did as the Lord commanded him. And the assembly was gathered together unto the door of the tavern now, the congregation. I want you to understand there was this great there was this great anticipation in the hearts of the people of something wonderful and great. You know, in the life of a church is wonderful and great when men who are called to preach, they've been examined and they've been they've been they've been, they've been vetted and they've been they've been tested and they've been tested in their doctrine and they've been tested in their calling and they've been tested in terms of the the work of God in their life and they've been they've been they've been interviewed and they've been they've been clarified and their life has been watched and they've been they've been mentored in all of these things. But it's a wonderful thing in the life of church that one know that man is brought before the congregation and a declaration is made and and, and statements are being made about the man's blamelessness and statements are made about the man's character qualification and statements are made about the man's doctrinal statement and statements are made about his allegiance and loyalty to Jesus Christ and the man gets up to declare his calling as a preacher of the gospel there. It's a wonderful thing when that man is set apart and anointed and set apart and ordained to the gospel ministry. He's ordained and set apart and signifying publicly this man is being set apart by that local church and is extension of that local church, that man will well represent Jesus Christ and the church and the preaching of the gospel and the fulfillment of the gospel commission and reaching souls the gospel of Jesus Christ. And I'm saying tonight, as a church, that's a wonderful thing in the life of church. And you have to understand as we see this here, this was a wonderful thing. As a congregation be gathered together, there was a great anticipation in their heart and their soul of God doing something great in the life of this man, Aaron. Was Aaron perfect? Was Aaron above Moses? No, he was not. Was Aaron a perfect man? No, he was not. In fact, we read over there in Numbers. Numbers chapter 11, how, and Numbers chapter 12, excuse me. Now he and his sister Miriam, they murmured against Moses and sinned, and Miriam was set outside the camp because she was afflicted and punished by God because of and given the, the, the disease, the leprosy, and she was separate from the camp. And there were mistakes that Aaron made along the way. And I want to tell you tonight, there's no servant of God that's perfect, and there's no servant of God that, that is right that, that has it all together. But I want to tell you tonight when a man's heart is pure and a man's heart is right and he desires to serve God and his doctrine is straight and he seeks to honor God, God can use that man, and God uses humility and God uses men who are broken. And God uses men who will be vessels unto honor, who are sanctified and made for the master's youth. And so this man Aaron was set apart for God. And so notice what happened here. The Moses said to the congregation, verse 5, This is the thing which the Lord commanded to be done. I want you to understand tonight. What what happened to Aaron, as we'll read this evening, what happened to Aaron was the commandment of God. This was God's command for the congregation. It was good for the congregation. It was good for Moses. It was good for Aaron. It was good for the office of the high priest. And so he commanded them. This. And the Bible says in verse 6 here, and Moses brought Aaron and his sons and he washed them with water. Let me tell you tonight, if you're going to serve God, you've got to be clean. If you're going to do anything for God, you've got to be clean. You've got to be a vessel into honor for Jesus Christ here. And the Bible says, then he clothed them correctly. Did you know that there are these, uh, these, this clothing of righteousness that a man of God should put on? There's this outer car clothing of righteousness. There is a There's something about the man's life, about his character, should give indication that he's to live for the glory of God and he is living for God's glory. And the Bible says, here, they put upon him, and you read about this in Exodus there a little bit more, they put upon him the coat and girded him with the girdle and clothed him with the robe and put the ephod upon him and he girded him with the curious girdle of the ephod and bound it unto him therewith and I just want to understand, tonight, you might want to go Google and look it up, but the garments, the, the colorful garments that the high priest wore, man, it symbolized the greatness of God. And it symbolized God's anointing and approval on his life, the colorfulness, and how it was all put together there. And it symbolized the office of the high priest there. And even more so, as we'll see in a moment, it speaks of something even greater than that. And uh, the Bible says, then he put the breastplate upon him, in verse 8. And he put inside the breastplate the Urim and Thummim. And you have to remember, the high priest was a man through the Urim and Thummim, that when he'd get a divination, he would get, a, he would get the word from God. Who would ask God, "What is it that you want us to do?" We need the message from God and to hear from the Lord. And then you read here in verse nine, it says they put the meter upon his head, if you would the crown, and upon the meter upon his forehead. Did he put the golden plate and the gold and the holy crown as the Lord commanded Moses? And then the Bible says, and then Moses took the anointing oil and he anointed the tabernacle and all that was therein, and he sanctified them. So I want you to notice here, when Moses went inside the tabernacle and he was anointing it, he didn't just he didn't just sprinkle a little bit here and there. I mean, you're. There there were profuse amounts of oil. Everything was covered with oil. Can I tell you tonight, God's work needs to be covered with the Holy Spirit of God. We need to be saturated and dripping with the Holy Spirit of God. Can I hear an amen about that tonight? And uh, they they just poured it all over that there. And then you'll notice here in verse 11, And he sprinkled thereupon upon the altar seven times, and anointed the altar and all his vessels, both the laver and his foot, to sanctify them. Would you notice verse 12? And he poured of the anointing oil upon Aaron's head. Anointing him to sanctify him. Go back to Psalms 133. David is using an analogy that captivated the senses. As Aaron was set apart and Moses took this container he poured copious amounts of oil. Imagine with me a container and he pours it out like this. It's not dripping out. As the Bible implies there, it's running out. In fact, the Bible uses the term distill. And distill means for something to flow. It's flowing profusely, uninhibited, unhindered, covering everything. And I want you to imagine with me this beautiful scene as three million Jews are standing around and Aaron and Moses are at the door of the tabernacle of congregation. This container of whatever size it was. He poured this holy oil that was a mixture of all these compounds of myrrh and cinnamon and kasha and casimus. And poured therein with olive oil. All mixed up. And I want you to understand that when you put all those aromatic fragrances and spices together. As it came out, like when Mary Bethany poured out that precious ointment on the head of the Lord Jesus Christ in John chapter 12. As it came out, this beautiful fragrance, this beautiful aroma could be smelled all the way around the congregation. It was all over everybody. And then as you could smell it, you knew something beautiful, wonderful was being poured out. And the Bible describes here that unity is like this precious ointment that was poured on the head of Aaron. And it was distilling. It was running down. Aaron was not to move. Nobody was supposed to touch him. It ran down his beard. It ran down his shoulder. It ran down his breastplate of judgment. It ran down his ephod. It touched even some of the fine linen. The Bible describes here in verse 2, it went down. Gravity was pulling it down. It ran down. It continued to be poured by Moses. It ran down even to the skirt of his garments. It started with his head, went down to his body. And David, if you would, as he's giving this description, he's helping us who are now part of a local New Testament church, which they did not have this concept because the concept of the local church was a mystery, was not known in the Old Testament. But we today who are in the in this age of grace and this age of the church, we have this concept, this mystery that God has unveiled. We are part of what is a local New Testament church. Can I hear an Amen. And his local New Testament church, he was symbolizing something so beautiful here because as he's writing under the inspiration of the Holy Spirit, he's symbolizing something very, very beautiful by the pouring of this precious ointment. You see, you see the... The ointment here is a picture of the Holy Spirit of God. And if you would, Aaron, whenever you find Aaron in scripture, he is a picture as the high priest. He is a picture of our Lord Jesus Christ, who is our great high priest that Hebrews speaks of there. Our great high priest who died for our sins. Aaron is a picture of our great high priest. And if you would, as you see this anointing, this, this oil being poured, our Lord Jesus Christ speaks, if we speak, we read about in scripture about the anointing of our Lord Jesus Christ, how the oil was poured also on his head and he is the head of the body if I can say that tonight Jesus Christ is the head of the church and the holy oil as was point on Jesus Christ set him apart if you would as our as our leader look with me in Isaiah chapter 61 because Jesus would quote this later on in Luke chapter 4 and as he made his inauguration and to his ministry his public ministry but in Isaiah chapter 61 and this is a favorite for every preacher of the gospel there the Bible says in Isaiah 61 1 the spirit of the Lord God is upon me because the Lord hath anointed me to preach good tidings. I want you to stop there for just a minute. He said, the Lord has anointed me. The Lord has poured out His Spirit upon me. The Lord has set me apart with His approval. Paul said, I thank Christ Jesus my Lord that He has enabled me. This enabling is coupled with the fact the man was set apart by God by the holy anointing and the approval of the Holy Spirit. Listen, if you're called to preach, you want the Holy Spirit's anointing. If you're called to preach, you want the oil of God upon your life there. The Spirit of the Lord, God is upon me because the Lord is anointing me to preach good tidings unto the meek. He was set apart as a preacher of the word of God. And he says, he has sent me to he bind up the brokenhearted, to proclaim liberty to the captives and the opening of the prison to them that are bound. He said to proclaim the acceptable year of the Lord and the day of vengeance of our God, to comfort all that mourn, to appoint unto them that mourn in Zion, to give unto them beauty for ashes, the oil of joy for mourning, the garment of praise for the spirit of heaviness, that they might be called trees of righteousness, the planting of the Lord, that he might be glorified. I want you to notice this tonight. As we look at this picture, this beautiful picture that's found here, it pictures to us the setting apart of Aaron. But I want you to notice the beautiful picture he's representing here. Do you understand tonight that the, when, when you get saved and then and, and, and eventually as we read about in 1 Corinthians 12 as you join the local New Testament church through baptism the Bible speaks about spirit baptism as well. And in 1 Corinthians 12, 13 we read about spirit baptism. We're baptized into the body of Jesus Christ. Listen, the Holy Spirit places you into his body there. He places you. That's why it's important to be a, a member of a local New Testament church not a member of local testament church you're not walking in the perfect will of god for your life it is god's will that every one of his saved individuals are members of local church and i know that scares us a little bit we get a little concerned about the term member because we want to know what does that imply in terms of commitment and what does that imply in terms of responsibility but i want you to think about what it implies in terms of being part of the body of christ and i want you to think about that you are doing god's will and you're added to the local New testament church to partake of the word of god and to participate in the lord's table and to serve the lord together with the local church. And I want you to see tonight, as we look at this this anointing of Aaron, that the head uh, began with the head of Aaron. The oil was poured out. The Holy Spirit works because Jesus Christ is the head of the church. And Jesus Christ, the head of the church, demands and commands for us to have His mind. We read over in Philippians chapter 2, let this mind be in you, which was also in Christ Jesus. And we read in those preceding verses how a church at Philippi was dysfunctional. And the church at Philippi was in discord with one another and he said look not every man on his own things but every man on the things of others and we see how Paul was emphasizing to that local church the importance of that church being unified and having unity and brought together there and so as the oils come which you notice it begins on the head because of setting part can I tell you tonight the oil was not poured on his body it was poured on his head and it ran down to his body as you notice this tonight the head is Jesus Christ but as the oil flowed down and covered all of his body and covered all of his garments and I remind you today it covered his shoulder and on his shoulder there were Two onyx stones, if you would, that were there. And on those stones were engraven the names of all the children of Israel. And later on, that oil would be poured out, would flow down and run across that breastplate of ju- judgment. And on that breastplate of judgment, he'd have, he'd have, uh, four, he would have these several rows there. Of colorful gems and stones And then behind all those stones Were the names of all the tribes of Israel Do you understand that the high priest He carried the burden of the names of those that, that were on his shoulders that he represented And he carried on his heart and on his chest The names of those he represented Do you understand tonight Our Savior Jesus Christ He carries your burdens And he has you on his heart And he's concerned about you And he knows about your name And he knows about your circumstance And he knows about your burdens And he knows where you're at He knows where you're hurting And he knows the sin you're struggling with And he knows the weights that are pulling you down. He knows all that. But thank God tonight we have a holy high priest in heaven, which cannot be touched with which cannot be touched with the feelings of our infirmity. But as in all points touches, we are yet without sin. And I remind you tonight, our great Savior, and our great high priest, He carries us on His heart. And you'll notice tonight, as that oil is poured out, it represents unity and cohesion and pulling all together. Or you see, tonight David knew what he was talking about in verse two when he talked about unity. He see he simplified for us the understanding. It is like the precious ointment that was poured upon the head of Aaron and went down Aaron's beard and covered all of Aaron, even down to his skirts. You see, God tonight wants this church to be unified. He wants to recognize Jesus Christ is the head of the church and we are the body. And as the body, we must be functional. As the body, we all work together. Some might be the hand and some might be the foot. Some might rather be a part of the body. But every part of the body is essential. And every part of the body is holy. And every part of the body has an essential part in serving Christ. Don't say tonight, you don't have any worth. And don't say tonight that you cannot serve God and don't say tonight that you don't fit the church Everybody is a part of a church They have to be part of the church and serving Jesus Christ And with the mind of Christ we look on the Needs of others and with the mind of Christ we're selfless And with the mind of Christ we don't do things To strive for vain glory and we realize Tonight that we we seek to be a church That is bold together I think it's beautiful As he describes the oil coming down it represents and speaks to me about The wonderfulness of a spirit filled church Listen tonight brethren a spirit filled church Is the will of God for us God wants us to be spirit-filled. God wants us to have that anointing of God. God wants us to make sure that our teaching, our preaching, has the anointing of God and the power of God upon it. God wants us to know tonight that a spirit-filled church walks in the spirit. Go with me to Galatians chapter 5 this evening, if you would, please. Galatians chapter 5. And let us see the essence, if you would, of a spirit-filled church. Galatians chapter 5. Here was a church that was struggling with their, their liberties in, the, in, in, in Christ and they were, they were struggling with the flesh and in the, and in the spirit if you would. In Galatians chapter 5, I want you to notice verse 13 please for brethren you have not been called into liberty only use not your liberty for an occasion to the flesh he's saying in other words God has given you a certain amount of spiritual liberty but don't use it to the advantage taking of other people don't use it to the flesh but he said by love serve one another for all the law is fulfilled in one word even in this thou shalt love thy neighbor as thyself now notice verse 15 he describes a problem that every local church had during that first century and every church here in this 21st century has he says but if you bite and devour one another take keyed that ye be not consume one of another. You know, it's our tendency to fight. It's our tendency to be argumentative. It's our tendency to be divisive. It's our tendency to be competitive. It's our tendency to prove I'm right and you're wrong. It's our tendency that if we get offended, we, we get like little children and we have a little poochy face upon us and we go hide in a corner somewhere and we look like somebody who's been sucking on a lemon for 20 years and we look like somebody who doesn't have the joy of the Lord in our face. It's our nature to be divisive. It's our nature to be contentious. Only by pride cometh contention, the Bible says. It's our nature to be divisive and to split and to cause, to be hair-splitting and be divisive. It's our it's our nature, if you would, to get easily offended by things. But listen, that's the flesh. The nature of the Spirit is that we don't bite and devour one another, lest we be consumed one another. But the Bible says in verse 16 that the nature of the Spirit is to walk in the Spirit and you shall not fulfill the lust of flesh. And I'm saying to you tonight, as we consider this precious ointment, and I'm glad he used the adjective word, precious, to describe this ointment. If you understand the seething, this is a Anointment was poured upon Aaron, was representing to the children of Israel, you need to be united, and you need to be cohesive, and you need to be in the spirit, and you need to walk in God. Let me tell you tonight, it doesn't matter if we're English speaking, or Spanish speaking, or we speak Tagalog, or we speak Romanian, or we speak Chinese, or whether it's Mandarin or Cantonese or Toisanwa, whatever it may be. I'm gonna tell you tonight, we may have our different languages, and we may have our different cultures, and we may have our different backgrounds, and we may have our different we may have our different economic statuses. But I'm gonna tell you tonight, when we come together as Heritage Baptist Church, we are one in Jesus Christ. And we must walk in the Spirit that we not fulfill the lust of the flesh. The Spirit-filled church, the Spirit-filled believers promote unity. And I'll tell you this, as I look at Psalms 133, I think David, as he wrote that, there were tears in his eyes. How good. How pleasant it is. It's like the precious ointment. that ran down upon the beard, even's beard, Aaron's beard, went down the skirts of his garments. There was a fragrance that told everyone something special just happened. There's oil that dripped down on him. He carried the fragrance with him. Do you have the fragrance of unity on your spiritual life? Do you have the perfume of accord on your life? Is the anointing of the Spirit in your deeds, in your spiritual life? We see unity exhibited. But notice as we close tonight, verse 3. Unity is exalted, unity is exhibited. But you notice verse 3 unity is excellence. And David does something else that was unique to them. He uses another exhibit. One more analogy. I'll try to rush this. As the dew of Hermon and as the dew that descended upon the mountains of Zion. Unless you're part, you come from that part of the world, you don't really appreciate the symbolism he's using here or the analogy. Mount Hermon, the mountain range of Mount Hermon was hundreds of miles above Jerusalem. If you go to Mount Hermon today, it's in the country of Syria. The Syrian mountain landscape. Its highest peak is 9,200 feet above sea level. It captivated the attention Jews and Gentiles alike. David said it says the unity is as the dew of Hermon. And then he speaks about the dew that descended upon the mountains of Zion. Now, the mountains of Zion were a large mountain range as well, and he's thinking where Jerusalem was at. But it was not as extensive and did not reach the same height as Herman did. And we have to understand the usage of the idea of dew being so incredible here. Because as you and I think of dew, and I'm thinking about this morning as there was moisture around the ground, a lot of it from the rain last night. But dew for us... As it settles on the ground, it burns up very quickly here in our hemisphere. It burns up very quickly and evaporates very quickly as soon as the sun comes up. But for them in that part of the world, in the Middle Easterns, that dew came in copious, abundant amounts. You remember the phrase where Elijah and he told King Ahab, he said... And I'm going to paraphrase this. He says, do you remember he said this? He said, there shall not be rain nor dew these days. In those days, they practice it. Even today, they practice a, a a version of farming called dry farming, because there are no again. We take for granted these irrigation sources and things, OK? But they didn't have the irrigation sources and there'd be places where mountainsides and mountainsides and hillsides there against gets, gets a hill where someone would have a, they would live. And uh, they, they, there was not a lot of rain or there weren't uh, water sources and brooks and rivers and things like that they could tap into or they couldn't dig deep enough to get a well to come up as, as we read about in Genesis there. And so for many people in those days, especially if you were in that mountainous area of Hermon and, and especially there in the mountain areas of Zion, they depended upon the dew. So what David's talking about here, they understood this there. And copious, large, abundant amounts of dew would settle in. Listen, the dew came down in such abundance that it irrigated their crops and they needed that to keep their, 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 their land for their ground fertile, and they needed it to keep the soil rich, and they needed it to give bring refreshment, and they used it to put pots and containers out to catch that dew because they would use that dew as water shirt for the for every day there. And so you can imagine that there was a predictability and, uh, that they had for having this dew come down. And as he talked about the dew of Hermon, that was that was not anything unusual for the people there. They thought about, yeah, we understand that. And then they're thinking about what he's saying there. He says, Unity is like the dew of Herman. It says the dew upon the mountains of Zion. And he was using a a figure speech that they understood there. So you ask yourself the question, how does the dew on Mount Hermon and the dew upon Mount Zion, how does that even figure into this whole idea of unity? Well, let me give you a couple thoughts thoughts. Would you write this out? Number one, the dew is required. Without the dew, farming for crops would be at risk. Dew is a necessary part of the economy. Can I tell you tonight, unity is required for church. Amen. And you may feel divisive tonight. If you feel that way, you need to get your heart right before God. Unity is required for church. You're going to the new year. You better read the statement of faith. Make sure you're on the same page about the statement of faith. Unity is required. Just like they need it due. Those abundant, copious amounts of due every day. For their farming. And for their food. And for their drinking water. We need unity if we're going to exist as a church. Secondly, not only was the do required, but second, the do was recurring. It was not one time. It was repeated. It was frequent. Let me tell you something. Look up here tonight. Can I tell you something that'll help our church? You know, when it talked about the oil going down Aaron's beard... Anywhere in Scripture you have reference to the beard of a man, it speaks about the masculinity, the manliness of a man. And I'm not saying this in a, in a, in a facetious way or to make anybody laugh, but hair growth, especially for Middle Eastern men, represented manhood and maturity. It represented a change in his life there. And may I say to you tonight, it is a mature thing to take the high road, and even if you're offended, to go on for Jesus and not be divisive. It is a mature thing for a Christian to not be divisive, to not be overcome with envies and jealousies and to live for God and to be one who promotes the, the spirit of, uh, of unity in the church here. And so the, so if you would, the do was recurring. It was repeated and it was frequent. Listen, every time we come to church, our prayer should be, Lord help us to be one that all the world may believe. We must pray every day. Lord help me to keep me from being divisive. If you're praying, God help somebody else who's divisive, you're praying the wrong prayer. You must pray, God keep me from being divisive. So how do you do that? How, how do you how does God keep it from being divisive? You know what you could do is have a servant's heart. A servant's heart means you might be right and they may be wrong, but you serve them with a good attitude. And you be a servant to them. And they may reject you, but you still shake their hand. And they may reject you, but you still reach out to them. And they may they have some, they may have some bug inside their craw about something that, that happened many years ago that you don't even remember about, but you have a servant's heart, and you be the first to take initiative. Listen, a responsive leader takes initiative and says, you know what? I'm not sure what it is, but if we can make it right, let's make it right. And I'm just saying today, the do was recurring. They they had to have that do every day. Day. And listen, unity must be recurring, and unity must be repeated, and unity must be in our youth, and unity must be with our older people. Listen, I read about first Peter chapter five, and as Paul Peter is writing there to the pastors, and he's telling these elders there of these dispersed churches, he's telling them about the description and the nature of their, their work. He refers back to them in verse five as elders, and he says to them as elders, he says, Now, ye younger, submit yourselves to the elders, and ye elders do the likewise the same. And what he was saying there that there was a age gap problem, that the younger would not submit to the older and so forth. You We've got all these dynamics. This is going on it's so long as I've been saved. We've got these different generational things. It was back at the time that there was something wrong with the baby boomer generation, then there was something wrong with the Xers, and there's something wrong with the whiners, and there's something wrong with, with the millennials, and all those things. And so we think because of all those things, listen, we can cure all these generational cultural distinctions by just submitting one to the other. And here near laymen's on that one. But notice here tonight it was it was recurring. It was expected. Hey, some of his older people need to kind of mature enough to realize we've got some young men coming up and they're maturing and they're, they're showing themselves as demonstrating some maturity. Let them serve. Let them serve. And some of you younger guys coming out, you may have a lot more ideas. Listen to the older men who are a little bit wiser and may not be moving as fast they know what the mistakes are along the way. And so the dew was required and the dew was recurring. But notice thirdly, the dew was refreshing. The dew cleaned the air. The dew made an arid and dry area refreshing, revitalizing. What a picture of unity. It's says the dew of Herman, as the dew that descended upon the mountains of Zion. We need to work at unity in our church. Discord and disunity destroys the church. It fractures families. It splits friendships and relationships. We need to work at keeping unity. Go with me to Philippians chapter 2. I referenced to it earlier, but I want you to notice very quickly, Philippians 2, we're almost done. You can go home. Now I want you to remind you as we read Philippians, Paul, the theme is joy, but Paul wrote this letter with a broken heart because his church was not on the same page. The preaching of the gospel was with contention. That's how bad it was. And women that were good friends were at strife with one another. And he said, if there be therefore any consolation in Christ, and if any comfort of love, if any fellowship of the Spirit, if any bowels and mercies, that's talking about passion for one another fulfill ye my joy that ye be like-minded having the same love being of one, one accord of one mind let nothing be done through strife or vainglory but in lowliness of mind let each esteem others better than themselves look not every man on his own things but every man also on the things of others you work of keeping unity we need unity so that our hearts encourage. do you realize this, David was talking about the dew of Hermon and the precious enjoyment that fell upon that ran upon on, on Aaron's head do you realize how encouraging that was to everyone do you imagine how refreshing the smell of cinnamon and kasha was to everybody's noses and myrrh was? It's like, you know, it's the, it's when, we, when we sing in unity as we did tonight, it's, it's like the morning dew. When we take them an offering, give with the sacrificial, sacrificial spirit, it's like the morning dew. Uh, when we come together and win souls as a church, it's like the morning dew. And when we endure to keep the unity of the spirit and the bond of peace, it's like the morning dew. And then notice something else here. David said in verse 3, he said, For there, he's talking about Hermon and, and, and Mount Zion. He said, For there, the Lord commanded the blessing, even life forevermore. I think, I think he's thinking about perhaps, I think it's over there in Deuteronomy chapter 31, as Moses was giving the cursings and blessings. And he said, make this remarkable statement. He said, Choose life. Choose life. Choose the blessings of God. David thought back about their history, about Miriam and Cora and Dathan and Abiram. God doesn't bless discord and disunity. Two weeks ago, Brother Justin and I were making some calls and we visited a family new to the church. It was a very good visit. Asked about their salvation testimony. Asked about the church they went to in another another state. How does he make this statement to us? Well, it didn't surprise us, but it was sad. He says, you know, Pastor Fong, Brother Justin, he says, one thing I really enjoyed when I came to your church is how friendly the people are. And by the way, keep up the friendliness. Amen? You know, how friendly the church is. And this is what he said. He said, it just seemed like everybody's got it together. He said, I got saved and told us the church. And I had special skill sets. And they used me for all these things. But he said, you know what? He said, one of the things that was just... After a while, it just became very annoying and discouraged me. Was that the church was always fighting with itself. It was a small little church. There was politicking. And all these other things. He says... If I come and commit to this church, heritage, do you have that problem here? Do you have that problem here? I said, no, sir, we don't have that problem. We have a little skirmishes here and there, but we put those out pretty fast, They bet. And I want to tell you tonight, God's not pleased. We've got these skirmishes here and there. Tozer said this, has it ever occurred to you that 100 pianos, all tuned to the same fork, are automatically tuned to each other? They are of one accord by being tuned, not to each other, but to another standard to which each one must individually bow. So 100 worshipers meeting together, each one looking away to Christ, are in heart nearer to each other than they could possibly be were they to become unity conscious and turn their eyes away from God to strive closer fellowship. We need to be in tune with heaven's harmony and not our own. As I close tonight, I remind you, David writes about unity that's exalted. And he writes tonight about unity exhibited through the precious ointment that ran down the head of Aaron and covered his skirts. And he speaks about unity's excellence as he compares it to the dew of Hermon and the dew that descended upon the mountains of Zion. For he said, for there the Lord commanded the blessing, even life forevermore a story in south india about a very wealthy indian family a landowner with several sons his man had many businesses they all prospered owned extensive amounts of land and pretty much he'd set everything up in his way of doing things that every one of his sons would have something a component of that of the businesses he owned and components of the land they would manage but each of those sons, because they grew up in a very well-to-do home and perhaps was not taught really just the importance of sharing and all that, were constantly quarreling, constantly jealous of each other, and always the strife among themselves. The landowner put up with it. He kept putting out fires. He kept dealing with it. One day he contracted some illness. The illness became fatal. And he was on his deathbed. And he started to declare and exercise his will at that moment, his will in last rites, his will in estate planning, if you would, there. And he got his sons all together, and he said, now, you and you and you and you and you and you and you, here's where we're dividing up. Whether you like it or not, this is what I'm giving to you. And there was tension in the room because those brothers had had tension. As soon as they became cognizant of money and materialism, they'd have this divisiveness among themselves. And there was tension in the room and the father knew that. And he didn't have much strength. And so he put something together that he wanted to use as an object illustration to demonstrate the importance of unity. He called for one of the servants to come in. And the servant came in with a bundle of sticks about this, this, about this thick. Tied together with several rounds of rope, you'd have to really just take a knife and really cut through that rope to unbind it. And this bundle of sticks like this together, he gave it to the eldest son. And he said, "Listen, I want you to try to break this bundle." And the eldest son tried every way he could. He tried to break it over his knee. He tried to smash it against something. He couldn't break the bundle. After several attempts, the father had stopped went down the line, every one of his sons, take these bundles of sticks, try to break them. None of the sons, as you can surmise, could break that bundle of sticks. The father told the same servant, he said, I want you to take a knife and cut the rope off that's tying it together, the tie that binds it together. He cut the tie that it together. He gave one stick to every one of the sons. He says, now, see if you can break it. With relative ease, every one of them broke that stick in half. He said, sons, do you understand? Divided, you're going to fall. But united, you'll stay together. And church tonight, it just takes one word of gossip. It just takes one divisive personality. It just takes one competing attitude. One bad attitude. Or disingenuous Christian. To split the body Christ and to fragmentize it. From whence come wars and findings among you? Come they not of your lusts which warn your members? And tonight, the Bible describes the blessing and the goodness of brethren drawn together in unity. Would you join me tonight in striving together for a church that's united? A church that's on the same page. The church is all together. And we are. But I think this is good because we're in this. We're climbing higher. And I think the, the wisdom of the Holy Spirit realizing we're not going to get to the top step unless we're united. And I'm going to tell you tonight you're not going to go anywhere spiritually if we're divided. Tonight is a night to surrender some things at the altar, to get rid of some lust and get rid of some gossip. And get us some divisive nature and personality squabbling and all this kind of stuff there. Only by pride cometh contention. Tonight, tonight, we need to surrender us at the the old-fashioned altar tonight and ask your God to help us this evening as we think about that precious ointment that flowed from Aaron's head, that ran down his beard, that covered his shoulder, that covered the breastplate of righteousness, that covered all those names. Listen, tonight, our Savior is in heaven praying for Heritage Baptist Church. He's praying for a church that is united in Jesus Christ. Put away your pride tonight. Follow the Lord. And do what's right. Father, this evening we thank you for Psalms 133, how good it is to be a united church. And I pray this evening we'll humble ourselves under the mighty hand of God to submit ourselves to your goodness and grace to being a church that has unity in doctrine, unity in practices, unity in philosophy, unity in our fellowship, unity in what we do, promoting one another. And Father, this evening, as it could be invariably with so many personalities, Forgive us, first of all, if we've offended other people. And forgive us, first of all, tonight, if we've offended one another, and hurt one another. And as Paul appealed to Euodius and Satiki, that they be of the same mind. Help us this evening to be of the same mind. To look not every man on his own needs, but every man on the things of others. And, Father, tonight we need to consider where there's, there needs to be consolation and comfort and fellowship of the Spirit and bowels of mercies. Tonight we must have the same mind in our Lord and Savior, Jesus Christ. Father, as Aaron had it together... As the ointment was, bought, was poured on him, help us to have it together. We realize the Holy Spirit cannot enable and cannot, uh, cannot give approval to where there's disunity. There's and we read about that in 1 Corinthians. And tonight, we, we thank you for the most part. Our church has got it together. and There's great unity. And there's a great camaraderie and love of the Spirit here. But there's also the flesh through tonight. And you, we claim Galatians 2.20, asking tonight that you would crucify the flesh. I pray that, Lord, our, our teenagers, our children, our college students, our working single adults... God, our, I pray our, our single adults in school, our married couples, married couples children, I pray that all those in the 30s and 40s and 50s and 60s and 70s and 80s, and maybe anybody here tonight who's in their 90s, that everyone here tonight will be of the same mind one to another. Because the Bible says that all the world may believe that thou hast sent me. Father, for the sake of the gospel, we pray for unity, a spirit of revival, a spirit of unity that we'll have. they will keep the body together in Christ. Father, be glorified and honored tonight. And Lord, where where we know our heart is right, help us this evening to pray for this maintenance of unity and pray for it to recur and pray for it to be refreshing. And refresh us tonight as even as David described, that dew of Hermon that came down every day in very large, abundant amounts and provided the irrigation needed. We need the refreshment of having that unity of the Spirit. Father, would you use this invitation tonight for that purpose? And then maybe someone tonight is not saved. May they see through a church that is united, may they see tonight the importance of putting their faith and trust in Jesus Christ. Savior they call upon the Lord tonight to save them from their sins thank God we have a Savior who never forsakes us and leaves us alone save souls tonight we pray unify us together help I pray that, that people would put their, their their differences aside and put Jesus Christ first and that we're not biding and devour one another lest we consume one one another but to walk in the spirit that we not fulfill the lust of flesh have thine own way we pray in Jesus name I'm going to ask you to stand tonight if God spoke spoken to your heart would you come this evening would you pray for the unity of the church would you come and pray by the way if you've got dysfunction in your family this is a time to get functionality in your family pray for unity in your family would you do that tonight do you believe that enough do you love god enough love the church enough you pray for that once you come this evening just have tender hearts for the church of the living god this evening fathers we're praying around the auditorium tonight i think of the song blessed be the tie that binds i think about the song i'm so glad that i'm a part of the family of god crucify the old flesh tonight. Remind us that death and life are in the power of the tongue. Remind us tonight that only by pride comes contention. But sweetly, Lord, sweep over our soul with David's words when he said, Behold, how good and how pleasant it is for brethren to dwell together in unity. Cover us with that dew of Hermon. Overflow us with love and compassion for one another. Give us revival, we pray. Prepare our hearts as the church is united for an outpouring of the Holy Spirit next Saturday and Sunday. Great things that you'll do. Heal bodies of our members who are sick and ill, colds and flus and infections and whatever. We pray tonight to dismiss us with your blessing and to rejoice that we're part of the family of God. Thank you for loving us tonight. Thank you for letting us be part of the local New Testament church. We pray this in Jesus' name. Amen.